All right. Uh, this is uh, Jamil Madden with Fall In. Welcome to our uh, Hackathon podcast where we're talking with the, the first, ta- first place um, winners of the August uh, 5th through 7th Hackathon, um, where our keynote was Dr. Barbara Oakley, author of Learning How to Learn. Um, and so, yeah, we're speaking with Team Hasdid, first place. Uh, Vital, you were the team leader. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself, a brief introduction, and um, a little bit about the contributions uh, about your hackathon project? Sure, sure. So, hello, I'm Vital, um, UX designer. Um, uh, I'm an Army veteran. Um, you know, put together this this uh, team for this hackathon. Uh, with these, these two gentlemen here. And uh, yeah, so the idea is that, uh, you know, I'm UX designer, so I'm here to help kind of map map out the project, answer some questions, you know, put myself in the shoes of who this is for and try to figure out what questions they would ask. Um, and then hopefully put that together in, in something that these guys can build here, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that's the short intro. <laughs> yeah, could you dive uh, real quick into what Hasdid is and how you guys came up with the project? Yeah, um, so Hasdid uh, is is a tool that's kind of making use of this new um, decentralized identifier uh, recommendation. So it's uh, the W3C's one of this newest recommendation to, you know, to uh, kind of, to kind of expand on this new decentralized tech, you know, it's kind of make it into the mainstream. And so, uh, you know, Com and I had been talking about this type of stuff for a while and we kind of ran into Alex who um, was working on a project that's, that's very related. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of how we got this thing started. Um, Very cool. Um, Comb, yeah, if you want to go next and tell us uh, a little bit about your background and um, your contributions towards the project. Sure. So, hi, I'm Comb. Um, my background is I was a bartender until two years ago and the pandemic hit and uh, actually Vital uh was always badgering me to learn how to code. I, you know, it's like, it's kind of a daunting task to approach, you know? And, um, and so that's pandemic hit and I got laid off and I just deep dove into uh, JavaScript and react and stuff and fast forward all the way up to here. And, uh, my contribution to a project was doing the front end, kind of uh, putting the landing page together, connecting the forms, uh, getting that data table up and running. And yeah, I think that's about it for me. Very cool. Alex, you wanna go next? Sure, yeah. So my name is Alex. Um, I've been in the tech for ever since high school, really, um, when I laid my hands on the first computer and I, would ask it questions and it would tell me stuff. And I was like, wait a minute, I can have computers do whatever I want them to. This is amazing. This is magic. <laughs> so I really thought I was a wizard. 
And uh, um, I, I, from then on, I just started doing uh, programming. So I, I uh, moved from like quality assurance to um, uh, working at uh, Rosetta Stone um, and then eventually getting into mobile development. So iOS, iPad stuff. And that's been a um, majority of my life until a couple of years ago when I started getting into blockchain tech, Web3, and really was curious why people were excited about Ethereum, why people were excited about Bitcoin, and currently a Chia project, which um, introduced a concept that I was never really familiar with, which is uh, decentralized IDs. And learned that uh, decentralized IDs are probably going to change the world and how we interact with technology. I, I, I think a big part of how we show ourselves on the internet um, in, as like a little profile that will be overtaken by DIDs somehow or connected with DIDs in the blockchain. So uh, stuff that I that I was contributing with is just kind of sharing how um, uh, like the Chia blockchain works, uh, kind of introducing Vital and Comb to that and then doing the setting up the back end and trying to collect connect like the minting process to the people signing up on the website process and eventually getting them uh, DADs and profiles and connecting the whole thing together. So, uh, yeah, but excited to have worked with Vital and Comb. They, uh, yeah. Would yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing it's it's amazing to watch a team work together uh, cohesively as a unit. So definitely an awesome experience. Very cool. Um, yeah, lots to unpack there. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious uh, since this is a you know veterans hackathon, Vital, Purple Heart recipient. How did you transition into your field of UI UX designing? Um, um, yeah, I'm curious what's the story behind that. Well, I took a very traditional approach, you know, um, <clears throat> was in the Army Infantry, you know, as a designer typically would. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got, I got uh, seriously injured in Afghanistan and uh, I kind of had to reassess my career plans, you know. Um, this was one year into five-year enlistment and... and um, you know, I just had to completely do a 180 and, and kind of, yeah, pick a new path. <laughs> and so I had worked, you know, technology, uh, had done a little bit of, um, you know, IT support, help desk, um, designed a few websites. And so I was like, you know what, I'd probably do some more of that. Um, and so I attempted to kind of get some schooling, went to local community colleges, uh, took a visual basic class. That's not very helpful. Thanks, Blue Ridge. Uh, and uh, yeah, so kept uh, kind of not having the greatest experience at school. You know, I was not doing so well. Uh, and I ran into... Uh, <clears throat> an army buddy uh, in, when I was living in California who uh, was also, but he's about to graduate from uh, bachelor's in computer science from uh, UC Monterey. And, you know, he lost his eyesight from, from uh, the war in Iraq. And so <clears throat> he was mentoring me with my Python class on his computer 
that doesn't have a monitor, just has a little robot that speaks really quickly to him, you know, kind of reads in the content. And we kind of blew through half of the curriculum for that class, you know, in an afternoon. And, you know, this is a class that I had spent a few months not doing well, and, and it kind of just changed my thinking completely, yeah. Uh, dropped out of school. That was my last attempt. Um, went the self-teaching route and started uh, doing website design and marketing for small businesses. Um, so <clears throat> started, you know, with a $1,000 uh, pizza website for a local pizza shop. Um, worked on some several tens of thousands of dollars of monthly retainer marketing campaigns. Um, And so, yeah, I've been kind of exposed to a lot of different, you know, businesses, organizations and their problems. Um, And, you know, I was always kind of tweaking up the designs and making changes here, here and there. And, uh, kind of found out I was doing UX work before I even knew what UX was. <laughs> so that's that's kind of, uh, yeah, how, how I got into the stuff. And um, these days, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing product and UX for, for startups. Uh, I think I've, I've kind of found my thing. Um, yeah, so that's, that's been my path. <laughs> Very cool. Um... That's very interesting. And there's so many questions that are like popping into my head um, uh, when you when you share that story. Um, but I want to shift to Alex. Um, Alex, you've been in mobile development for the past deca- decade. Um, I'm curious, how did you step into it and why mobile um, engineering? Yeah, so I started with doing desktop apps and uh, I guess helping out with web uh, website stuff um, at first. But when Apple came out with the iPhone, I saw that there were some opportunities for testing out some new grounds that we haven't had before. So uh, we, I think we, at that point, um, 2007, 2012 timeframe, um, iPhone comes out, uh, people are kind of excited and uh, Steve Jobs says, you're going to be writing uh, web apps and they're going to be on the, on the phone at first. And I was like, ah, nope, no thanks. I don't want to write websites. And, uh, but later they came out with their SDK that was a native SDK using Objective-C. And at the time I was work- writing stuff in ActionScript and using Adobe's uh, frameworks. And I really didn't like some of the stuff that they did with rendering. And there were bugs, security vulnerabilities coming out weekly that people were worried about. And one of the things I knew that C offered you, um, and at that point, Objective-C is really more consistency and clarity in both the code you write and the output you expect to, to get. And so I started to see these, you know, funny, they were like fart apps were the more po- most popular apps in the app store. And I was like, people are just having fun. I downloaded those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what about the, um, the Ruby app or whatever it was, it was a $999 and all you get was an image of the, the diamond or the Ruby. 
like yeah. it is insanity. Like, why are people doing this? But it was fun, right? And so I was like, all right, well, this sounds kind of interesting. Well, as I started to dive into it, I recognized that Apple is doing some really interesting things in terms of privacy. And one of them was you couldn't, for example, retrieve the phone number of the caller if you're an app and you don't explicitly request permissions from the user or from Apple to even retrieve the phone number. And to me, that started to kind of go down the path of, I really like that they're focusing at that time on privacy so much that I'm, as a developer, can't simply interject myself into the person's life and steal data from the person. Like I have to ask a lot of permissions and I have to make sure that I'm, it's for a valid reason. And there's, there's always way around everything, but I really found that interesting. And then the other aspect, which is more exciting is uh, like working on such a tiny device where you, you like, you can move, you can do everything you want to with your thumb essentially, right? Like it's really cool that I get to navigate and do everything I need for my life by doing like this tapping thing. But then they start to notice that like we had buttons. People would put buttons up here and I'm like, my thumb doesn't go up there. What's happening here? Like people stop doing that. Like stop putting buttons up there. So I'm like, I wanna write some apps. I wanna see how hard it is. And it's hard. It is really hard <laughs> to design a good user interface. Vital knows, Com knows, you know, like this is incredibly hard and it's rewarding. And that's, that's where it comes from. Like that reward of you figured it out. You figured out a really hard user interface that you're used to like moving your mouse, you know, a thousand pixels across the screen to press a button. You have to now figure out how to do it near the thumb. And intuitively enough that people, anybody, my mom and dad had to know how to use this thing. And that's another huge challenge. So I think the phone opened up um, a lot of possibilities for a multi-generational use and all of this came together. And I said, I want this. This is a really, really cool little thing that I want to get into and been in it ever since. It's It's been super fun and rewarding. Lots to learn always. So, yeah. Very cool. Did, did you, I'm curious, did you have a CS background um, before stepping into it? I did, yeah. So in high school, I took my first uh, Q Basic class, Vital, <laughs> before I did Visual Basic stuff on my own. Hated it so much that I didn't want to ever do Visual Basic or Q Basic. But um, because I did uh, Q Basic and a little bit of C or C in high school, all throughout college, I did computer science. And that transitioned into working uh, with computers for, well, since then. So yeah, yep. Very cool. I like uh, uh, I like yeah. that we keep basic as a theme that keeps coming up because actually basics what I learned on as well on my TI eighty three calculator instead of uh, paying attention in algebra, I was entering uh, drug wars, lunar lander, snake. Uh, oh, I had so many good games. I got my calculator confiscated towards the end. So yeah, I re I remember I used to play that. That was like our Game Boy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a Game Boy in the classroom, but you could absolutely have had that calculator. Eventually, <laughs> teachers did catch on to us because they were really like, "What are you doing here?" Hours coding, you know, entering basic basic code into your thing and testing. It's like you don't know if it's gonna work till the very end, you know. <laughs> Good times. 
Um, Comb, uh, I'm curious, what resources have been helpful uh, for you as you navigate your tech career? You mentioned you, you're pretty new, a couple of years in. Um, there's countless resources out there. And so, yeah, which ones um, have been most helpful for you? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, actually, because it is overwhelming when you when you first uh, approach it, especially approaching it as an adult, you know, like um, it's just it's, you know, so many things like what language do you start with? Does it matter? What do they do? You know, what is the back end? What is the front end? What what is the database? How does it work with an app? And when you're first starting out, you really have no idea, you know, it's all just a bunch of random names and it, it is, you know, like Python, you know, what does that really mean? JavaScript, but, um, some, you know, but so there are a bunch of resources and if you can kind of, uh, narrow it down to the, to, to the stuff that you want, it helps a lot. And so, I started with FreeCodeCamp, so big shout out to FreeCodeCamp because it um, it's really good for dipping your toes in, and it's free. Um, another one that I found was Open App Academy, which was also a free curriculum, and that was great too. Really difficult, but just so well um, thought out and thorough. And um, another resource that was great is join a dev Slack. Like uh, Vital put me on to Operation uh, Code, but I'm also part of the one in um, New Orleans where I live currently. And it's it's just it's especially when you don't when you're not coming from the tech world and you don't have many people to reach out with that are related to what you're doing. Slack. Slack channels are great for that. Uh, there's a lot of helpful people on them. And then, um, you know, for me, my approach was a little stubborn because I I dropped out of high school and I did two years of college. And I just, school isn't really for me. And I thought, well, if if I'm going to learn how to program, it's I'm going to do it because I want to, not because I, you know, put a lot of money into it or because... Uh, I'm forced to. So it's, there's definitely a lot of resources out there. You just, you kind of have to, you have to do that. And at the same time, experiment with just small projects and fail a lot. You know, (laughs) I think that's the main way that uh, I got into, to this. Very insightful. Um, yeah, I heard really good things about Open App Academy. Um, I'm planning on on checking it out as well. Um, have you completed uh, like the entire curriculum for that? No, so I I completed uh, chapters of it. I did the Ruby portion. I did the first portion is great because it's not so much the language. They just teach you the the concepts. Uh, you know, like logic. What is logic? How does it work? Um, things that will apply to really any language or any type of programming you'll do. Um, and I, so I kind of picked and choose. I also did the react section. It's, it takes a while. So it's like, (laughs) 
Um, I, the thing is, I started working pretty early on as I was learning. So it was a little bit, I just jumped into the fire and kind of studied when I could and then, you know, worked in between. Um, definitely intense, but something I'd recommend, <laughs> you know, just jump into it. Uh, but yeah, one more thing is actually Open App Academy. They just released a new curriculum also for free. It's just updated. So I'm going to check that out. I haven't yet. I'm curious, how did you uh, strike a balance between studying and working? Because um, that seems very difficult. Well, so I, you know, there's different ways to learn. And I, my method that I prefer is top down learning. And it's kind of like first you hit the problem and then you seek the tools to find the solution. And I, because I find that if I'm just learning in general for, you know, uh, future issues, I, I have a hard time paying attention or keeping interested. But when you have a problem and you've made a promise that you're going to solve it by next month, you know, uh, suddenly you find the motivation and energy and focus that you need to figure it out. And that's where you can, you know, Udemy was also great uh, for like $10 courses. Always buy on sale. <laughs> that would be my advice for Udemy. <laughs> but yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, Vital, I'm, I'm curious what resources have been helpful um, navigating your design career? Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult question because there's not a lot of, uh, it's not like web development where you can go find resources on JavaScript or React or React Native. UX is kind of still being invented, you know, there's like combat going on online about definition, am I UX, am I UI, am I product, no, I'm product UXD, you know, it's like, all right, y'all, I'm trying to build some stuff here, I don't care about the title, you know, and so um, every place that I've ever done UX at has a completely different definition of what UX is. Um, I've been in a job interview where uh, things were kind of going iffy. And so I turned things around by asking the CEO what UX was. It was like 17 minutes worth of answer. And then he's like, yeah, I, I'm still talking. I'm going to stop talking now. When do you want to start? <laughs> you know, so it's like UX is, is, a, is a tough cookie, you know? It's like nobody knows, everybody knows. Who knows? <laughs> um, read a lot. Talk to a lot of people. Talk to a lot of designers. Um, talk to the ones that are mad. Um, two books I recommend, uh, Atomic Design. Uh, it's actually by a JMU graduate is uh, Harrisonburg based, 30 minutes from me. Um, <clears throat> Brad Frost, Atomic Design, uh, teach you a lot about what the heck is a design system, why, how, <laughs> you know, it's like, it was very instrumental for me. It took me years to even understand it all, you know, but it's like, I took a piece, played with that, you know, and then 
another piece and built on top of that. And it's, it's kind of what atomic design is about. Um, another one is like uh, learning UI, you know, refactoring UI. Uh, another good book. I can't remember who wrote it. Sorry. But it's famous enough that you just Google refactoring UI and you'll find it. And uh, they did a really good job because it's like green check mark picture, red check mark picture, you know, and an explanation of why it's bad, an explanation of why it's good on so many little different pieces of UI, you know. And so that, that taught me quite a lot. I recommend that one a lot. Um, and then, you know, hackathons. I mean, this is why we're here on this podcast, right? But I've, I've done probably eight or nine by now. Um, and just just practicing design process with different developers and kind of getting their, uh, you know, their perspective, their the way they understand the problem, you know. Um, working with Alex was amazing because... I did not know a whole lot about Chia blockchain. You know, there's so many of them. I just haven't looked at Chia yet. And so uh, Alex had a really good understanding of the problem. And so I was able to answer all my questions, the good, well-thought-out ones, the terrible stream of consciousness. I just pooped that one out, you know. <laughs> And so it, it was really, uh, it was really awesome to be able to kind of just fast fire some questions until I understand what's going on, you know, and it's like, well, now that I understand, you know, you should frame this that way, you know, this is the t type of things you need to go in FAQ, you know, uh, this is the type of questions that might come up. So it's like, always kind of trying to uh, figure out and, and adapt. Um, yeah, just just work with a bunch of different people on, on smaller projects at first and then try to do a bigger one. And, you know, like Kum said, maybe try to do a hard one, <laughs> you know, charge really cheap and be upfront about the fact that you're not an expert, you know, and... <clears throat> People will give you a shot sometimes. Um, and, you know, when you're in that area where you're uncertain and it's like, oh, God, what's going on? You know, kind of get it. I kind of don't. Like, that's, that's when you end up doing most learning, you know. You come back to it the next day and you're like, damn, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it takes a lot of these passes to kind of finally get it, you know. And, uh, yeah, so just, just a lot of exposure. Like, if you're looking for that college degree to look, go learn UX, well, good luck, me too, you know. <laughs> Let me know when you find that program. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, Alex, yeah, uh, same questions. What uh, mm -hmm. resources, you know, we talked about Swift UI before the recording mm -hmm. started, but I'm curious what resources have been helpful for you as you navigate your um, career? Yeah, I, I think uh, Com uh, and Vital already um, 
kind of summed it up really, really well in what I was thinking as well. At first, it's super important to ask as many questions as you can, because that's really the only way you understand. And uh, fortunately enough for us in a time and age where we live, you can ask any web engine, a search engine to give you 90% of the answers. Um, so that part is amazing. So I use Google daily. And uh, if there is a developer who's never used Google to search, they're probably lying or they're like brilliant uh, enough that they can retain everything in their in their head. I would say 95% of developers Google things every single day. Um, so if somebody's listening to this in the future and you're like, man, I, don't, I just don't know if I can answer these questions, we don't know the answers either. We Google them. Just Google them. It's fine. You're going to be okay. It's great. Like, just, just figure it out. And really, the, the two pieces of, of what Com said uh, ties into the next part is um, he was saying how you want to just throw yourself at the problem. And then not only do you know what you're solving, but you actually know what questions to ask. If you're trying to learn, it's, it's a nebulous thing or entity you're learning about. It's hard to sometimes gain the answers that you can retain. So it's better to simply say, if I can, um, this is one aspect of hackathons that's really good is if you can narrow your task to something extremely simple, you don't have to worry about everything. You just solve that one little problem. And that one little problem could have lots of questions in it that you didn't know you had at first. And so you start answering them one by one. And that's okay. Just Google every single one or get a book, answer every single one, one at a time. And the last bit of it that has started to help me more recently as I've started using resources like iOS Dev Weekly. So iOS Dev Weekly is an email list for all iOS mobile developers. And uh, Dave Berber, I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, he puts together well-known uh, developers in the community, in the Swift community that write about um, mobile development, right? So that's really good because you actually get a list of people in front of you that you can follow along with and learn from them. But it also then shows people like Hacking with Swift, for example, website. Hacking with Swift is by a person who loves Swift. They develop and then they share everything that they're learning. And I think that is the last piece of how one should learn is ask questions, narrow down your scope, answer them for yourself, and then teach. Because by teaching, you learn even better than you would have ever uh, otherwise. So if you just a very simple blog with very simple text and uh, images for what you're learning, try to describe it to somebody else as if you're teaching a big audience. And you'll learn that you actually may have not learned the topic as well as you could have. And once as you write about it, it retains in your mind better and you're able to teach others. And you never know who you can help in the future. I do it because um, I help myself because I tend to forget stuff. So as I do write blog entries, I actually am writing it for myself, for my future self. I'm not really writing it for anybody. So if, any, if somebody is like finds it useful, great. But I, I'm not writing it for you. I'm writing it for me. <laughs> but it, it, it works out really well, for I think, for everybody. So yeah, those, those would be my recommendations and uh, ways that I've learned. Noted. Um... Yeah, I, I want to shift directions to the the hackathon project that you guys uh, uh, selected. It was blockchain related. I'm curious, how did you guys come across um, Chia blockchain? Um, 
what was it that intrigued you guys? What, uh, what essentially do you guys see as the problem that you guys were attempting to, uh, or, um, solving for? Should I, should I take a stab at this guys? Yes, please. Um, so, <laughs> so a friend of mine who retired off of Bitcoin mining said I should look into Chia. Hey, that's probably not a bad place to look at. <laughs> so if somebody's retiring off of blockchain tech, like I should probably look into it. Um, <laughs> that's that was like a year ago. Um, so in my spare time at nights, I would just learn about what is a blockchain. I, I learned about like Ethereum and Bitcoin and then Chia. And so the the thing that fascinates me about Chia is that. Bitcoin, you went from, you could mine it using a CPU, then a GPU, then it went to ASIC mining, which is the super powerful um, mi microcomputer, very specific architecture just for doing that work. And it, it's like, it costs these days, it's like $10,000 for this like box and it might make you some Bitcoin, might mine some Bitcoin, it uses tons of energy. Then we got to Ethereum and they said, hey, we're going to use even less energy and stuff. So you can still, it's still proof of work. You still uh, mine it, um, but it supposedly takes less energy. But because of how many you know people uh, can use it, it can still be a lot. And then um, in uh, a couple of years ago, Bram Cohen, uh, the founder of Chia, and um, he started to work on this project and brought in some people who um, who are wanting to solve the problem of using too much energy. And so with what Chia's, uh, Chia blockchain uh, or Chia network, what they're trying to do is instead of continuously using power and resource to create something, do, do this mathematical computation and then throw it out, instead you use a CPU one time, you do a computation, you take that computation and store it as files on hard drives. And then you leave it there forever. So you can turn off your uh, plotter, as they call it, the thing that does the hash computation. And then you just leave your farmer in like a Raspberry Pi. And then you can have, for example, I think now you can connect like 400 terabytes on a single Raspberry Pi running the Chia um, farmer. And you, uh, however long it takes for, depending how many hard drives you've filled up, um, you may get a reward of two Chia for now, for example. So with 400 terabytes of hard drives and a Raspberry Pi, I think it's like every two weeks you get two Chia. So a Chia is like $40 or whatever. So very low power usage and you've pre-computed a bunch of stuff. You stored it. So you still, you're still doing proof of work. But eventually you don't have to do anything else. You just let it run and it, it does the same thing. So their uh, approach is uh, talk to governments and uh, big business entities to try to use Chia as a blockchain. And their current uh, thing that they actually just announced, I think yesterday, is that they have a couple of initiatives for carbon offset um, via the blockchain. So Costa Rica is one of the is one of the first countries that's using Chia blockchain to do some um, carbon offset stuff and uh, just like reduce our carbon footprint on Earth, and that's their kind of big goal is to reduce um, uh, carbon usage and how that stuff is recorded and documented and stuff like that. So uh, really, really interesting stuff. There's a lot more there that I can talk about it for 
a long time, but <laughs> um, so that that's why the the Chia blockchain starting to solve a couple of issues. Power is one of them. The other big one is it's uh, introducing its own language for how you create smart contracts, as they uh, as they call coin uh, coins or coin set model. And uh, it just by the way it works because it uses Lisp as sort of its framework. It's inherently more secure than, for example, Solidity. And so they're uh, they're introducing things that haven't been seen on any other blockchain that at least I've heard of. So that's the stuff that was like, hey, this is really cool. And then more recently they said, hey, in order to create NFTs on the blockchain, you will you should also have something that ties you as an individual to provenance or the historical record of ownership to who created the NFT and where did it travel across the blockchain. So I, let's say um, uh, uh, we were doing the video on during the uh, hackathon, like let's say that uh, the Mona Lisa and uh, was to be recorded uh, with the author, you know, the, the painter, if with if he was to exist today, um, he could say, I, Leonardo da Vinci, painted this painting. Here it is. The blockchain records that I am the owner and the DID is essentially what proves it. And even if he sells it to somebody and sells somebody else to somebody else, you'll forever and ever, if the blockchain is alive, you get to see that Leonardo da Vinci was the one who painted the painting. So it forever proves that. So. The DID thing seems really simple now because, you know, people in JPEGs, JPEGs are weird, right? Like people are spending hundreds of thousands on JPEGs. Like, what are you doing out there? But the concept of DIDs is important, I think, going into the future where one of the applications could be that the government gives veterans an NFT using the DID as verification of ownership and who they are profile. And then they could send, like, let's say a disability NFT to their DID. So then Vital could go or somebody else could go to another organization asking for help with resources. And they just say, what's your Chia wallet? What's your DID? Let me look you up. And all they have to do is go, this DID did indeed receive a disability NFT from the government. And we can verify this using DIDs. This is a DID for the government. This is your personal DID. Yeah, you, you qualify and you will start receiving benefits or whatever immediately. So those are the long-term three, five, maybe 10 years uh, out um, things that I think could be applied in, in uh, kind of to real world stuff uh, that may not exist yet. So those, those there's, uh, there's a lot there, but yeah. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, I want to zoom out a bit and kind of look uh, forward in the next 10 years, what do you guys think the tech sphere will look like <clears throat> a decade from now? So it's 2032. Um, yeah, curious uh, what uh, what you guys think. I think you're on <laughs> mute, Vital. Sorry about that. In 10 years, we'll have flying cars, man, for sure. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> no, I think that uh, tech, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting field at an interesting time. I think we've we've seen a lot of uh, <clears throat> we've seen a lot of software and hardware, or yeah, just a lot of software mainly just put together by a very 
homogenous group of people in the tech world, you know, and that's changing in 2022. So I think that we're not quite equipped to see what tech in 20, in, you know, 2032 is going to look like. Uh, it's going to be very different. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm a dreamer. So I have, I have big hopes, but, um, I think, you know, hopefully we'll have figured out how to make it a lot less harsh on the environment. Um, that's, you know, that's one thing that's kind of harsh in it for me on, on the blockchain stuff right now. Uh, it's just a waste of energy. You know, there's so many potential uses, uh, but it's like once you kind of look into what it takes to, to run Bitcoins and Ethereum transactions, it's kind of uh, less cool quickly, you know. So, yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about the future? <laughs> oh, you're on mute too. Come. I think much the same. I mean, it's there's just so many factors happening right now be- between laws catching up to tech and um, just... I don't know. I don't know what it looks like in 10 years. I think it could go many different ways. I wonder what blockchain technology looks like in 10 years, where it went, you know, but uh, I'm not sure really. Yeah. I mean, obviously a hard one to answer. Um, We don't really see the future. I I think I see things like we're still going to have websites. We're still going to have computers. It's all going to be sort of similar as it is now. Uh, if we're looking at the past, I think 10 years is actually a pretty significant amount of time for technology to change. Um, I think introduction of things like an iPhone and Android phones did change things for people and accessibility uh, to resources even. Uh, you don't have to be sitting in, in a library. If you don't have a personal computer at home, you don't have to go to the library. You could actually afford a smartphone and sell service and do a lot of the stuff that you used to have to have a dedicated line uh, to access. Starlink, I think, might actually allow a lot of uh, countries in the world that don't have good dedicated internet would potentially get access. And what Vital said, because of the introduction of more people to the internet, there's going to be some extremely brilliant people who are like 15 years old who are going to be solving problems that we're going to go, why didn't they do this before? And the answer might be as simple as the internet was not accessible to them. Like they, you know, they might still be figuring out how to solve the hunger and water problem, but they figured out how to like harvest water from air for their region of the world without knowing uh, much except for internet. And they figured out how to access certain parts of the internet that allowed them to learn that, right? Like I, 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 I'm, I'm a futurist, so I love thinking about the future. Uh, I just don't think there's gonna be super crazy changes, but I do think there's gonna be accessibility for more people in the world to the internet, which means more diverse uh, people who are going to be entering the field, solving problems, I think the stigma of learning stuff online is going to continue to disappear. And I think there's going to be some big challenges to traditional education and going to school may not be a standard way of doing things anymore. Like 
homeschooling, it may look better and better as an option. And that homeschooling might just be a bunch of kids in front of like we are doing, you know, and the teachers, the teachers may not be traditional teachers. There could be like more like influencers today, right? Like there's, there are influencers today who, uh, you know, there's uh, some negative connotations, I think, to influencers on social media, but there are others who are genuinely wanting to teach people. And it's Mm -hmm. possible you just take the path that is the most interesting to you in life and you like throw away all this, as we call boilerplate and code, you just throw away all that stuff that you may not need. And you just, at 15 years old, you're writing, you're creating your own company and it does what you've always wanted it to do. Like, that's cool. That would be cool. So I, I, I see some of those things, but who knows? We'll see. Let's, let's get to that age first. (laughs) (laughs) Very exciting stuff here. Um, as we wrap up here, one final question I have for all three of you is what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in your particular career field? Um, Com, I'll, I'll start with you here. Yeah. Um, I think I have some, you know, I'm very early on in my career still, uh, but I think I have some advice for the very beginning. It's put yourself out there. Like, um, I'm guilty of not doing that enough, but you, you have to, to find people that are interested in the same things. And, um, and the internet is perfect for that, you know? And so probably exposing yourself and, and finding other people interested in what you want to do is the, is my biggest advice. Oh, and one more, it's don't, you know, don't worry so much about how good you are. It's like, it's more like don't give up and keep learning because you'll get there. Noted. Uh, Vital, uh, what about you? Um, <clears throat> definitely try to, um, uh, try to look at different viewpoints. Um, you know, it's all too easy to go to somebody who agrees with you and be like, yeah, both of us are right. You know, you get a third person who agrees with you. It's like, oh my God, all three of us are geniuses, you know? And it's like, it's almost like <clears throat> I've developed a spider sense that when too many of that happens, it's just like, ugh, I'm in the wrong. I don't know how, I don't know who, I don't know what, but I'm recognizing this pattern, you know. And so, uh, especially, you know, building uh, tech digital products with, with multidisciplinary teams, you know, you've got front end, back end data scientists, the marketing person who's not looking at any of that, but somehow they also need to know all of it, you know? <laughs> and it's like, how does that all mesh? You know, it's like there's a lot of uh, context switching. And so it's like, uh, you, you really need to understand everybody's viewpoint, you know? And it's like, user experience is like, uh, you know, whether you, whether or not you're good at communication, you're going to get good at communication. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was the one bit of advice I had. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. That 100% agree with that. And, and to add to that, when you, when you're ready to get started, just dive into it. Don't, don't wait for anybody's approval. Just, just do it. Get started, get started today. 
write that app, write that website. It Don't worry about the name not being perfect. Don't worry about your LLC name not being perfect. Uh, don't worry about the UI not being perfect. Get started. Get it done. Get the, the most simplest thing you can imagine done and learn from there. Iterate, iterate, um, and continue to learn because we the best way to succeed, I think, in the tech career is really learning, probably any career, is just be always a student. Continue being a student forever for the rest of your life. Awesome. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much. I feel like we could have uh, done this for several hours. Um, but yeah, um, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time out of your day to, to chat with me and um, appreciate again, um, you know, checking out the hackathon and Congratulations again for winning first place. Uh, I, I hope to see you guys in our future events. We're always trying to make them exciting and, and fresh. And um, yeah, um, thank you guys again. Thank you for yeah, having us. A, yeah, thank you. It was a Lovely pleasure. to be here. It was a great time. And uh, you know, definitely you want to do a hackathon in the, in the metaverse, you know, hit up Jamil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs>